everybody, and welcome back to My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre, the coolest podcast anyone ever came up with. Oh, it's so cool. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold, and I'm cool. Yeah, we're all cool here. Mm. And no one is cooler uh, than B. Peterson, actually. Uh, <laughs> this is the podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network where we invite people uh, from other shows uh, to come in and... Or, or just people we know. Or just people we know, yeah. that's true. But typically they're people who, who are also in the creative world. And... Uh, we invite them to come in and share their voice, and we thought it'd be really cool if everyone shared their voice about one particular thing, and that way we get a whole bunch of perspectives on that one particular thing and create mm. kind of this interesting tapestry of criticism. And the thing that we chose is everyone's favorite movie, My Dinner with Andre. The, the mega runaway hit. It's had like 40 sequels. Uh, Disney has a whole interconnected Andre universe now. You ever, you ever been to uh, a shopping mall? My Dinner with Andre was directed by Louis Mall. That's how popular My Dinner with Andre was. Oh my god, that was such a stretch. Um, <laughs> my Dinner with Andre from uh, 1981 uh, is a wonderful film by Louis Mal. And we've had a various... This is a great way for uh, not just to get a tapestry of criticism. Mm. Uh, it's also a really interesting way because the film is about a conversation and about... Uh, sort of ways of living, uh, it's also a great way to open up broader conversations, not just about the film itself, but about various things about life. It is, it is one could argue, mm. a cinematic Rorschach test mm. or ink blot, yeah. where everyone can look at the exact same conversation, but pick up on different things and have different takeaways and different elements of this back and forth exchange of ideas. Uh, everyone can have a different take on it. And we think yeah. that's really, really fascinating. And for me, mm. I think that's what kind of film criticism is all about is to see how a variety, a wide variety of other people uh, react to things mm. and to sort of learn more about the human experience through that. Uh, to that end, we've invited a lot of cool people, and this episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre is very special because uh, this episode uh, comes from The Screen's Margins, which is a podcast network run by the illustrious B. Peterson, who we've had... On our shows a couple of times, mm -hmm. uh, we did, uh, uh, rather you did, sorry, our, our <laughs> Cancel Too Soon episode about well, Quibi with B. Peterson. Uh, B was one of the only other people that uh, we were in contact with who was as into Quibi as I was. Um, Quibi, you know, that, that wonderful little flash in the pan that lost $2 billion over the course of a couple of months, uh, the phone-only streaming service, uh, once I started like figuring out what it was all about, it turned out to be really, really fascinating. And I started talking about it on the podcast. And I think uh, B also started listening at the same time. And at, at the end of its life, uh, B and I got together and we recorded a, a podcast, a rather epic podcast, a yeah, very long huge. one, about everything we had both seen on Quibi. Yeah, it was actually one of the, it's actually one of the bigger editing jobs I had to do because <laughs> you guys were so passionate about it, you forgot to leave like room for clips. <laughs> so oh, I had to like find really good. It worked out. It uh, worked out. It just, it was fun though. Mm -hmm. And I love that episode. And mm -hmm. I think Pete Peterson brings a really wonderful perspective uh, mm -hmm. to cinema in, in all its forms. And over at the screen's margins, they have a wide variety of podcasts, including uh, a podcast called Fassbender and his friends, uh, which is dedicated to Rainer Fassbender. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, a podcast called dance Dorothy dance, which is dedicated to Dorothy Arzner. Um, there's, geez, there's, uh, there's so a Fred, there's a Frederick Wiseman podcast yeah. over there. Um, uh, they're really doing some really fascinating, interesting work with uh, 
a lot of uh, filmmakers and directors that aren't talked about widely yeah. uh, outside of like critical circles or film schools. Yeah. And, um, and they're also and, doing new releases yeah. as well on their uh, show mm-hmm. Fresh from the Margins. And B. Peterson has a variety of other co-hosts, all of whom uh, make an appearance in this episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Apparently, about 70 hours of work went mm-hmm. into crafting this particular episode. Of my dinner with my dinner with Andre. I want you to think about that. 70 hours to try to create, and I think they've done an incredible job. The the greatest my dinner with my dinner with Andre. How specific, how incredibly detailed is this episode? It runs for the exact runtime of my dinner with my dinner with Andre. It is or just of my dinner with Andre. Well, yeah, not counting our introduction. It is one hour, 51 minutes, and 40 seconds. It includes anywhere between 25 and 30 minutes of talk between B. Peterson and their co-hosts. It's got intros. It's got outros. Uh, This could be a commentary track for My Dinner with Andre. Uh, It could just be its own meta-commentary about My Dinner with Andre. Either way, I think this is a really, really cool discussion about My Dinner with Andre. It's also a really great introduction to the screen's margins, which, as Whitney said... They dedicate a lot of time to filmmakers who other podcasters mm. don't dedicate the time to. I, often they lament that they can't. Mm. And I, what I love about B. Peterson's shows is that they've decided they're just going to do it. Mm. You know, and that's that's something like if you're looking for podcasts about filmmakers who people don't talk about and we've all lamented, oh, why are all the podcasts the same? The Screens Margins. So I encourage everybody to follow the Screens Margins at Screens Margins. Go to patreon.com slash screens margins uh contribute if you can they have polls for future shows they have exclusive shows um and uh be sure to follow uh b peterson on twitter at blue gray closet is their personal twitter um we also have hold on i have the other i'm i'm so bad with twitter uh their co-hosts uh screens margins is on twitter at screens margins Mm -hmm. Uh, co-host Anna Campion is on uh, is at I am the Campion. Hmm. That's a good name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, co-host Mark Edward Hoyk, who is a longtime friend of ours, uh, is also a competitor on the Schmodown. You might remember him from Beak the Geeks. Uh, he is on Twitter at the underscore Hoyk. It's actually spelled phonetically. It's not the way his name is actually spelled. It's H O Y K. So the hmm. underscore H O Y K. And then, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounce his name, Harold Urtiaga is at Harold TXT. Okay. Boom. You have no excuse. Now you have to follow them all. You have to follow them all and you contribute to the Patreon if you can. Anyway, we, we, we really love what B. Peterson does. We really love the, the criticism of B. Peterson and we really admire all the effort they went into this. Yeah, seriously. This is, this is a hell of a feat and... We just had to give them their proper due and their proper respect. It's And it's also a little long. You know, it's a full-length commentary track. So we're going to get out of the way. So everybody, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for giving the screen's margins uh, your ears. And uh, thank you once again to B. Peterson and every single person who contributed to this particular episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. on my mic so we should be good to go whenever all right this is
is going to be fun. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre, or is it very well might end up being an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Uh, my name is B. Peterson. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm the creator of the Screens Margins Podcast Network, and with me as always are... Uh, I'm Anna Campion. My pronouns are she, her, and I co-host Fresh from the Margins with the lovely Bee. My name is Mark Edward Hoyk. My pronouns are he, him. When I was younger and prettier, I occasionally got mistaken otherwise, and I personally got off on that, but I have that luxury. I'm Harold Rupiega. I also use they, them pronouns. Uh, master student, UT Austin at the Media Studies Department. Uh, and uh, Wallace Shawn fan. We can start right off the bat. Yeah, all right. First, a little bit of context. Uh, this episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre uh, was actually recorded in three separate recording sessions, um, one with each co-host. Um, and so what you're hearing on the Critically Acclaimed Network um, has been edited together into one uh one large and yet significantly shorter episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Um, all three of the uncut episodes, which will un- uh, amount to somewhere over five hours of total of total listening, is uh, they're, they're all available on our Patreon. So, uh, but with that, uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, just a couple background, a few background questions to get started. And so my my first question would be is like, what is your background with the film that we're talking about, My Dinner with Andre? Never heard of it once in my life. Never heard of it once in my life before you mentioned it. I uh, Really? Okay. Nope, never heard of it. I watched it for the first time last year. Uh, okay, bef- same. And before that, I mean, I just knew that it was a, a film about two guys having a conversation. And that one of them was Wallace Shawn. Um, and that's, I mean, that's it. That it was in New York City, baby. Well, I got film obsessed in the fourth grade. And once I got film obsessed, one of the first things I latched onto was watching sneak previews on PBS with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. And I distinctly remember when Siskel and Ebert were raving heavily about my dinner with Andre. And I should also add that when I was in middle school and high school, I had a phase where I was not only making audio tapes of some of my favorite movies, or at least the movies that were 90 minutes long that you could put onto one 90-minute audio cassette, but I was also making custom labels for them. And while I had not seen my dinner with Andre, I was so intent on seeing it that I pre-made a label for it. So I feel like it's a movie that has always been with me, even if I only now for the first time finally saw it in its entirety. Okay, so this was this was your first go around this this past week. Yes. All right. Um, and then, as for the three main players in the film, as it were, what's what's your background with uh, Louis Malle, the director, Wallace Shawn, and Andre Gregory? My first exposure to Louis Malle was, as a child, being film-obsessed, 
Louis Mao was drawing a lot of press and controversy for his movie Pretty Baby, which had starred uh, Brooke Shields as a child prostitute. And remembering his name, I started paying attention to all these other movies that would subsequently come that he was associated with, such as Atlantic City, which came out in 1980. So I was paying attention to Mal's career early. I saw Atlantic City as a child, but I did not register its importance until I was an adult. Now, with uh, Wallace Shawn, again, I had not seen Dinner with Andre in its entirety, but I knew who Wallace Shawn was because of all those Siskel and Ebert clips. So when I saw him uh, become a recurring character on Taxi or when I saw him in The Princess Bride or Clueless, he was always this really welcome presence. And in adulthood, I started paying attention to his work as a playwright. I had never i've never seen any of the actual plays he'd done but wallace sean for me always be kind of symbolized the eternal tug of war between the lofty ideals of of the theater and of you know larger thoughts of you know what is is there something bigger than this and of ordinary creature comforts that that he clearly had no problem taking these acting roles and playing the same kind of nebbishy character and getting paid for it and being very good at it and developing a fan base because of it. Andre Gregory, uh, the the only other big thing I can remember of Andre Gregory is that after my, my dinner with Andre, I distinctly recall uh, making him out when I saw Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ, where right. he played John the Baptist. And in that movie, the, the portrayal of John the Baptist is very much like the character of Andre in My Dinner with Andre as a very sort of uh, aggressive, almost hectoring presence saying... No, if not now, then when? We cannot be content with things as they are. Right. Louis Mal, uh, I have seen Elevator to the Gallows, uh, and mm -hmm. I really love it. Everybody always talks about, you know, the great Miles Davis score, of course. <laughs> right. Um, but it's just like so, such an interesting sort of structure, because uh, it's, it's about the perfect crime and then mm -hmm. uh, how it slowly unravels uh, through the course of the film, you know, and not so much, you know, the, the, the crime is done, you know, within those first couple of minutes. Uh, and and the, right. the journey is just uh, every single way in which it goes wrong after that. Yeah. Also, full disclosure, this is going to be our most chaotic episode of, of Screens Margins, just period of all time. 
because uh, oh, I might have yeah, yeah a, a apartment maintenance coming in and checking the sprinkler oh, oh, right behind oh. me. So <laughs> this is gonna be yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be really really cool. Uh, yeah, so that might happen say, at like, any yeah. moment. Which is I mean, because yeah, on our Fossbinder podcast, we can get we get very chaotic on all these weird tangents. Mm-hmm. But but this is this is like real world chaos. But it's kind of appropriate, so. right? This is like my equivalent of the waiter kind of butting in and being like, "Will you please?" <laughs> Get out of just our giving restaurant. you side eye and blinking <laughs> yeah. repeatedly. And <laughs> do, do you need literally anything else? Please, I beg of you. Uh, but uh, Walshon, like I said, I love. Um, less so for like the Princess Bride or whatever. More so for uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, where he plays okay. Grand Nagus Sek, the leader of the of the Ferengi uh, planet. Um, and they are just just like little goblin aliens who are greedy and i mean Wallachon is like the perfect person to play their leader with his very mm. distinct voice he like dials up the the sort of uh the Wallachon. yeah yeah that, that, it's much <laughs> higher pitched in character uh cool uh andre gregory i don't really know um this movie doesn't give you the best impression of him um no, it does not. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, yeah, he's all right. He, you know, we were just talking about Martin Scorsese on our on our uh, uh, Wiseman podcast. He was in the Last Temptation of Christ. Huh? <laughs> he was John the Baptist. <laughs> he sure was, huh? Anyway, um, too distracted. I'm too distracted by Harvey Keitel in that film <laughs> yeah. to pay attention to much of anything <laughs> else. Just bright red hair and. The, Bronx accent in the middle of Jerusalem. We've talked, you know, listen to our, our Wiseman podcast. Yeah, yeah. Go listen. Just hear yeah, this conversation we again. About, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Go listen. It was. I actually yeah. really liked the episode that we did on Boxing Gym. And then at one point, we talked started talking about Raging Bull, and then we talked about Martin Scorsese. Um, but, yeah, no, so that... Yeah, that 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 was, I think, my first exposure to Andre Gregory. Though it, I never really thought I was like, ah, yes, that's Andre Gregory. Um, yeah, for for me, uh, Louis Mal, um, my first experience was uh, Elevator to the Gallows, and one still one of my favorite uh, uh, film scores. And so that was my experience with Louis Mal. But as for Wallace Shawn, I hadn't seen The Princess Bride until last year. Um, and I really only saw it because of the Quibi, uh, the home movie, The Princess Bride, uh, because I was really interested in Quibi. Right. Uh, but uh, and actually, because because I knew who Wallace Shawn and Andre the Giant were, I knew that they were in The Princess Bride. I still hadn't seen it. Um, and because I knew that Wallace Shawn was in a movie called My Dinner with Andre. I actually thought for several years that My Dinner with Andre was actually a movie about a conversation between Wallace Shawn and Andre the Giant. Um, but, but in general, my experience with, with My Dinner with Andre is it's a film that once I had started getting into film, it started to pop up in various, like, you know, it kind of, it's one of those films out in the ether of, like, it's the movie where it's just two people talking over dinner kind of thing. And I'd never really gotten around to seeing it. And then uh, finally, <laughs> last year, when uh, uh, Bibbs and Whitney uh, decided to, or they, they uh, reviewed it on their critically acclaimed streaming club, um, I was like, okay, before they, I listened to their conversation about it, I finally might as well get around to seeing it. And it was on the Criterion uh, uh, channel, and so I watched it, and I thought I was like, "Oh, this is very interesting." And 
And that conversation between Bibbs and Whitney was the inception of this podcast. Uh, fun fact, I actually met Wallace Shawn once. Really? I did. Tell me about that. I was 13, and I, for my 13th birthday, my mom, my mom and my godmother, Kay, took me to um, New York for my 13th birthday weekend. And we went to see Wicked and, you know, went to the M&M store and, you know, yada, yada, all that stuff. And um, my uh, Kay has a good friend who she went to college with named Colleen, who works in sort of like the media industry. And she she lives in New York. And at the time, she lived in New York. So we uh, we met up with her for like lunch on one day and uh, we were walking and Wallace Shawn walked past us on his way to a diner. And um, Colleen was like, that was Wallace Shawn come on and like basically took my hand and like we ran after him into the diner and then she like pushed me into him and i was like i was familiar with his work mainly through princess bride i'm also pretty sure he did a lot of voices in animated movies like the incredibles and stuff like that that i really liked so i i'm a i'm a big wallace sean fan and so i like Colleen like pushed me to up to him and I was like hi my name's Anna I'm a big fan of your work I love you and Princess Bride and he was like oh thank you and then you know shook my hand or whatever and then went to go sit down he was very nice so that's my experience with Wallace Shawn but I'd never heard of this movie before okay and and then so the other two main players in this film do you do you do you know anything about Andre Gregory or never. the director Louis Malle Never heard about, never heard of them in my life. Never heard of them in my life. All right. So I guess that leads me into the question is, did you like my dinner with Andre? No, I fucking hated this movie. (laughs) I think I tweeted this, but this, it doesn't happen often, but I am a film and media studies major. So, um, you know, I went to a liberal arts college, so I w- I'm not a traditional film major in that I didn't do a lot of actual, like, filmmaking. I wasn't, you know, making a ton of, like, really interesting, cool student art house films. A lot of what I was studying mm-hmm. was film and media theory. So I took a lot of films where I studied, you know, things like Laura Mulvey and um, Roland Barthes and uh, The Panopticon. And um, because of that, um, I got a really pretentious view of film, and I often would buy into it. Um, and, you know, I often see on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, TikTok and stuff, like, people make fun of film majors all the time. And a lot of times I'm like, we're not that bad. We're actually pretty cool. And, like, we just have, like, cool opinions on stuff. And then every once in a while, I watch a film where I'm like, oh, it makes sense that people hate us. And this is one of those films (laughs) where it's like, you know, Roger Ebert, like, um, said it was the best film of, you know, 1981 or whenever it was released. And, it's a film um, without cliches. It's a film without cliches, and it's just like, there's no artifice. And it's like, shut the fuck up. This movie is one of the most boring, self-congratulatory, masturbatory, white guys are the most important movies I've ever seen in my life. This is one of the, this is... I mean, I won't say it's a bad movie because I think a lot of things are really artfully done and I do think there are parts of it that I found very compelling, that I found myself very drawn into. But like these, these, you know, uh, this idea of like these, 
you know, definitive, like, collections and list of, like, movies that every everybody should watch before they die. And the fact that this is, like, sort of included in that conversation, it's like, yeah, no fucking wonder people just want to go watch The Avengers. Like, because this is fucking boring as shit. And, and, you know, and then you get into this place where it's like, oh, well, if you don't get it, then I guess, you just don't, I guess you're just not, like, I don't know, I guess you're just not cultured enough to get it. I guess you just don't get it because you're not, like, a film person. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. It makes film majors and film people look so pretentious and so unable to relate to, like, the common man that it, it is embarrassing in my view. Yeah, no, uh, this is, this was something that was brought up, um, on a couple other of the episodes of my dinner with my dinner with Andre, uh, uh, Gray Drake, uh, said that like, this is the kind of a movie that you attempt in college. And, uh, uh it was on the screen drafts, mm-hmm. screen drafts episode. Someone was like, this is a movie you watch in college in college to prove how open-minded you are about cinema. Like the, yeah. Oh yes. I have refined 100%. taste. I like my dinner with my dinner with Andre. Um, and, and I think your use of the word pretentious is, is, I mean, it's, it's a word that is often, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a buzzword nowadays where people just throw, throw it around at any kind of film that, or anything that's like obsessed with itself. And, and I would, I would argue that this film is incredibly pretentious in, but in the, the definition of it in that is. It is based on pretense. Um, it's based on pretense, and that if you want to like enjoy it or get like some sort of deeper meaning out of it, then you will have to have seen all of the things that are are built up in that are the 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 things that it is connected to. Um, it's uh, it was funny on the the temple trauma episode of of my dinner with my dinner with Andre, the, the, the big thing at the end was like, it's no Avengers end game. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, I actually would disagree because I would argue that very much like, um, uh, Avengers end game, my dinner with Andre is they're both, they're, they're both incredibly pretentious films in that if you want to like get stuff out of them, if you want to really enjoy them, then you have to have seen all of these other things that inform your viewing of my dinner with Andre or inform your viewing of Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Like if you want to understand all of the character development in Avengers Endgame, you will have, have to seen Iron Man three and Thor, the dark world and all of these other movies. Right. Um, and so for me, like the Avengers, I, I have to give it some credit. It was the movie that initially got me into like going to the theater and watching films and, um, mm-hmm. It was like the one of the first movies to do that for me, and since then I've I've kind of moved on because I've realized that it's it's just a lot of the same. Um, and actually, I would have to say that like my taste has over over all of my film watching these years of of diving deeper into cinema, that my taste has veered more towards stuff like my dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm if I'm gonna be if I'm going to do deep dives in, into types of cinema that I'm, I'm a lot more interested in doing a deep dive in some, into some very esoteric um, uh, uh, films about like people just doing almost seemingly purpose or insignificant things. Like that's, that's my genre. One of the films that I, that I didn't watch um, in building up to this that I wanted to get to was Jean Dielman, which is the Chantal Ackerman film that's three and a half hours about a woman cleaning her apartment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that 
that's my kind of movie. Patterson, a movie about a poet who drives a bus, that's my kind of movie. Two people talking over dinner, that's my kind of movie. And and really what I've taken away from all of my, like, in the past week, I'll just, I'll just give a little rundown. In the past week, I have seen my dinner with Andre five times in some form or another. It's fucking torturous. I man. have watched uh, uh, t- two other uh, Louis Mal films, um, his... Uh, directorial debut uh, with Jacques Cousteau, The Silent World, and um, his his last film, Vanya and 42nd Street, which is also with Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. I watched uh, My Breakfast with Blassie. I watched uh, Autumn Sonata, the Bergman film, which is mentioned at the beginning of the film. I saw the documentary Andre Gregory Before and After Dinner, um, as well as uh, uh, the, all the supplements on the Criterion Blu-ray for my dinner with Andre. And so I, I've done a lot of a, a stupid amount of research into, into my dinner with Andre and the stuff around it. And through that, I've been able to get a fairly, I, I, would, I hope that I could say, decent understanding of what's going on in this film uh, uh, in in so much as where these characters were at and how they were created and the the ideas behind them. Um, um, yeah, it, it's just, I mean, I just don't think good art needs to actually be looked into with outside sources all that much to get it. Well, sure, yeah. You I know? mean, the, the, the no film... If I I the, I the I agree with the thought that if you watch a film and it doesn't capture you, then the film hasn't done its job. Mm-hmm. Um, that that no that you are not obligated to have to have knowledge on other things outside of the work, to so that in order for you to enjoy the work. Yeah. Um, and and the fact that I do love this film, my dinner with Andre, is. Partly thanks to the the time that I've taken to right. to go into and learn all about the lives of, of Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn and Louis Mal. I, I, I really I, I just find the character of Andre fascinating just because of of everything surrounding everything surrounding uh, uh, this film when you actually like go and learn like about his actual life. Um, this is something that uh, uh, Bibbs and Whitney talked about is Andre is what's really going on here is Andre is having an extreme mental health crisis and and he is so privileged that it's just a quirk and it's it's really just feel for art it's not something that's debilitating him like he's having visions of demons and in and at while well, at mass like you need to see someone about that mm-hmm. and and um, and what I just I found so fascinating in, in in my research was learning about, frankly, all of the trauma that this guy has been through. Um, so one of the threads throughout the film is uh, Andre's obsessed with Nazis. Yeah, super. Like, he talks a lot about Nazis. I was a little concerned about that to the point where I looked it up to see what if he was Jewish because I was like he's talking a lot about Hitler like and then obviously like he like you know as you noted in this lovely document you put together for me and also as I discovered he was born in Paris like right before World War II started yeah to a to a Russian Jewish family yeah yeah um so he had to flee to the United States 
Right. And so he and the thing was, is so, yeah, so he was a Jewish family, but not just that he was a Jewish. He was a, 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 from a Jewish family, but um, that when they got to the America, when they got to America, that his family, um, uh, they changed their last name to Gregory. They took out the, the they had a Jewish name and, and they they changed it and they kind of almost suppressed their Jewish heritage and this is something that I learned while watching the documentary that his second wife um, uh, directed um, about him is that his father who by the way both of his parents were absent and that is something that clearly he has affected him and has affected his own marriage in this film he's an absent father himself Mm -hmm. in my dinner with Andre and he's uh, 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 leaving on all these trips um, and and so it turns out that his dad may very well have been a Nazi collaborator in the 30s wow. trying to undermine the French uh, uh, economy, working with, with under Hitler. And that's crazy. Like the guy lives is, is clearly like he is dealing with so much trauma. And uh, uh, there's at the beginning of the film, one of the. One of the main uh, uh, references to other works of art in this movie is how um, Wallace talks about in his narration that um, that his friend found him uh, crying on the side of the street after seeing the Bergman film Autumn Sonata, mm-hmm. um, which is and specifically reacting to the line "I could always live inside my art, but never in my life," mm-hmm. and which is which is kind of the theme of of this entire movie if you well get right down it's to what it. andre is doing he can't live inside his life he can only live inside his art um and that's 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 the struggle that he's having but what when you watch autumn sonata which by the way that line does not appear in the film that is that is not a line in autumn sonata there is a speech oh, that circles around that idea but that was a paraphrase so i was i was watching the movie and the, when the line never showed up i was like yeah. Um, but what that film is about is about a uh, it's about the dynamic between a mother and a daughter and the mother who is a famous pianist who, when she was off on tours, um, would would just think of I need to be home with with my family. But she, when she was home with her family, she neglected them and she was terrible to her husband and terrible to her daughter. And like this film Autumn Sonata is pretty much Andre's experience as a child and also as a parent where absent father, absent, absent parents. Right. And so, right. and this is what I say when I say that watching all of these other things lends me to have this appreciation for the, this character of Andre. It's just, that's, that's like, it's a pretty essential piece of background information that he was Jewish isn't really mentioned in the movie, especially because he then goes on to talk about going to church on Long Island. So you're kind of like, oh, so you're, are you like waspy? Like, what's the, like, what exactly is like the thing? So Mm -hmm. like, if you don't know these things, it's about Andre Gregory as a person, then it's a completely different picture in, in the movie. Yeah, which is why I say that it, that it's a very pretentious film. Once you have the context, then you can understand like where Andre might be coming from. But without that, it he does present a very uh, uh, unflattering picture. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And and I think that was that was one of the main themes of the most recent episode of my dinner with my dinner with Andre uh with uh, the people from from beyond the 
from Beyond the Broadcast, which is a great little radio drama uh, uh, podcast that I, I highly recommend, um, is they were talking specifically about uh, uh, their uh, Wally and Andre's wives or mm-hmm. their, their partners. I'm um, Debbie and Chiquita. Yeah. And one of the things that they took away from that, which is totally understandable because they only ever refer to Andre's wife as Chiquita, is as like, yeah, Andre is totally the kind of person who would have um, a woman of color wife kind of thing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's like very much Woody Allen. The thing is that 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 isn't ex- that isn't talked about in the film that Chiquita is not Chiquita's name. Her name is Mercedes. She is a white woman um, who actually survived Germany in World War Two, mm-hmm. then came to the United States, and that they talk a lot about um, her as being like this belabored housewife, when actually she was also she was a director. She was a film director, and she directed uh, several films about uh, uh, Jerzy Grotowski, who is the Polish theater director that Andre talks a lot about. Yeah, in that this they movie. talk about a lot. Yeah, and so that information isn't in there. And yeah, and 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 like the same kind of thing with 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 Debbie is that Deborah uh, Wallace's real life partner, uh, Deborah Eisenberg, who is a short story writer and professor. It is one of the failings. Of the, and it's I, I have two things with this film that I like you you didn't need this or you really did need this. And um, the one thing that they that they left out um, and it's people don't really talk about it is um is Wallace talks about in his narration is like we talked about Debbie and Chiquita for a while before we got to all the stuff about Andre's pontificating, and that's just covered in narration and we don't actually get to hear it. And I think that it would it is it would have made these that made Wallace and Andre so much more human if they actually talked about their if we got to hear them talking about their their, partners, their wives yeah. their um, uh, Andre talking about his kids. Um, uh, for for maybe 10 minutes before we got to all this stuff if we show that yes they actually care about these people um kind of thing and and yeah and and i i it, it's a it's something that can, can't happen now sadly because uh, uh chiquita passed away in 1992 of of cancer R.I.P. um was I would have really liked to see uh, my dinner with Chiquita and to have have a film where it's it's Debbie and 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 Chiquita talking over dinner. And there would obviously still be some elements of of like privilege in there because Mm -hmm. but and and bourgeois ideals. But I I would really like to see that film from their perspective. Uh, Yeah. uh, Get Chantal Ackerman to direct it. Um, And and, you know, I. It's tough because I really do like Wallace Shawn a lot, and um, I'm sure that if I watched any of uh, Louis Mahler and Andre Gregory's other work, that I would uh, be interested in it. And maybe I am predisposed to dislike this film or something like that. But um, okay. fuck, this was boring. Like it's just, it's just, uh, it's God, I. I have a real problem with movies like this, and I'll tell you what my problem is. I... And and this also sort of gets into the age-old old question, like, is art for the artist or is it for the people who see it? Like, is art meant to be private or public? And it's a, you know, it's a really interesting debate and one that, like, 
you know, very famous artists have dealt with, like Emily Dickinson and, um, you know, a whole host of other people. Um, and, but I think if you're going to make a movie, which you probably want people to see, you have to let go of your arrogance. And I don't think any of these people let go of their arrogance in making this film. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and this idea of like making high art that like, you know, is, is, is not, uh, it's not going to be for everybody. And like, we're not going to cater to, you know, people. It's like, you can make really good art that lots of people enjoy. And that hits a lot of people. And I think, and I mean, granted you enjoyed this film, but this film didn't affect me at all. Um, like, even though I say I disliked it and it was boring, I'm not going to think about it after we, we finish recording. I'm not going to think about okay. it one more time again in my life. Because ultimately it didn't change the way I view anything. It didn't make me think about anything differently. Um, I just think it's really arrogant to assume that two people want to watch a conversation between two, like, white guys for two hours. Sure. I, I don't know. Like, I think I, I think it's a pretty arrogant way to make a point and make a movie. Um, mm -hmm. We t You talk about, like, if was this made for an audience or was this made just for them? Really, when you dig into it to the history of it, Andre had had all of these experiences and he felt like a complete failure. And so he just and Wallace reached out to him as like, hey, do you want to? The intention of this was just Andre wanted to make a film that portrayed his failure as an artist. Um, uh, he and so ultimately, and they they never thought that this movie would blow up. They had no i they had they had no inclination to believe that this would become one of the largest and most successful independent films of all time, which it is, which is crazy. Um, and and so I think about like. The fact that this artwork doesn't work for maybe a lot of people, that I totally get it. They only made it with themselves mm -hmm. in mind. And so the fact that it doesn't yeah. speak to a large people, despite maybe some of their topics, is very interesting and is compelling to think about. Um, um, the ethics of of uh, uh, how to live your life and, and uh, waking yourself up, like all of these things. Like there are some interesting ideas that they talk about. I'm that for them if 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 you don't get it then that i totally get it i guess but then isn't that also like an element of privilege that you can like make a movie about like your own struggles and it doesn't matter oh, of course if, yeah like you break even <laughs> on it or not and so it's like i mean there's just so many things at play here that it's kind of cuz <laughs> Like, is art for the artist or the audience? And, like, I don't yeah. think there's a right answer either way. Um, In this case, they made it for the artist. They made, they it, for made it for the artist, which I think is valid. But then, I, I guess, I, and maybe my issue isn't even then with the creators. Maybe my issue then is with the critics and, and criticism of this film. Or, in this case, praise for this film. Because, I mean... 
like like we talk about Roger Ebert, very privileged guy. Very, well, and I mean, probably honestly, like most film critics who were prominent enough to have an opinion on this film in 1981, like we, you didn't have blogs, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have Twitter. You had like you know the fucking New York Times, the New Yorker, uh, you know the Washington the New York Post, Post, the New York, no. <laughs> the Chicago Tribune, you know L.A. Times, yada yada. You had Times. like the big like sort of movie markets in the United States that would like release, you know, reviews mm-hmm. that would be taken seriously. Rolling Stone, yada yada. And all yada. their critics were white guys, and or, or I should say that the dominant voices were white guys because yeah. there have been critics of all different types. Yeah, of at, at any given time, there's been a lot of critics of all creeds and colors. But uh, the like the idea that this is like a classic and a film without cliche and like one of the most like raw, cr- amazing films of all time. It's like, have you seen other movies? Like, <laughs> this is not that good of a movie in comparison to like most other movies I've seen. Um, and, and so then maybe my issue is that this, so then maybe my issue is with the film community as a whole in regards to this film, where like, well, sure, yeah. there, the idea that someone couldn't relate to this or couldn't like find this interesting is like so foreign to people who have been like such big voices in film criticism that it's like, get out of your own ass for two seconds. Andre's right with that electric blanket stuff. Like, yeah, how how dare he have an electric well, blanket? Well, he also, should experience like, the cold. It's separating him from I'm reality. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Tell like, tell like the homeless population of New York City that like, you know, comfort makes you feel like Tranquility not is dangerous. Like, fuck you. That's you want to know the like best so, part about that? Speaking as Anna, someone, Anna, you know, hmm. just sorry. You want to know the Tell best me. part of that whole bit with the electric blanket? So this film was not shot in New York. It was shot outside of the New York stuff, but it was shot on a set in an abandoned hotel um, somewhere along the East Coast. I don't know, it was Virginia or whatever, but it was shot in a set. And it was shot okay. during winter, and in an abandoned hotel with no heating, and they couldn't run the heaters during shooting because they were so loud. Um, right. So. While they were filming. Did they have electric blankets? They had electric blankets. And so Andre is wearing an electric blanket while he's talking about how tranquility is dangerous and you shouldn't wear an electric blanket. I don't even know if I want to talk about it anymore. I'm so mad in <laughs> this movie. <laughs> so mad I had to watch it. Like, it's, and I mean, I'm just so mad that, like, we have to talk about it. I don't know. Like, I get why, you know, uh, you know, critical acclaim. You guys are great. Get why you guys are making a podcast all about this. I just don't know if this film deserves to be talked about at the level it's being talked about. The privileged white male experience has has been wholly overrepresented in film as we know it. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like no shit, Sherlock. But yeah. I mean, so when I say that, like, you know. I mean, you know, I'll speak for myself. I'm a young, white, gay girl who lives in New York, and I can't relate to a thing that happens and that it, that they are talking about in this film. Um, and I also don't really glean anything new or different from it, because I've seen this... Um, I've seen the world through this lens before in many different films. And I have watched better films from this lens and gleaned more from them 
I think that they're basically just do, two dudes jerking each other off about how smart they are and how much better they are than everyone else. I, I, I will say that, that there was one moment in the film that I really, um, that I felt, I, it was one of the best moments in the film, and it was when Andre, I guess, was most relatable to me. Um, not because it was something that I experienced, um, though I imagine I will experience it in the future, um, is when he was talking about his mother dying in the hospital. And I felt that that was the, maybe the strongest moment in the film because he got like genuinely angry in that moment and talking about how the doctor in, uh, was only focused on her arm when she was clearly about to die, but the doctor came in, checked her arm, and she's like, oh, she's in wonderful shape. And the way like, that he got, pleased? like, yeah, and he's like, the way he got actually angry in that moment, I felt was like, okay, Andre, this is, the, I mean, because that is something universal, the loss, losing your mother. Um, Absolutely. something that if it hasn't already happened, um, uh, then then it likely it will. And if, will. And if not a mother, then a mother figure or a father figure or something like that. And that a, you're losing a someone. A parental, guardian, grandparent, whatever. Yeah. You're losing someone and someone isn't recognizing that. And then the follow-up, um, uh, re-watching this movie, the, one of the things that jumped out to me most was um, the first lines that Wallace and Andre have to each other is like, you look wonderful. I feel terrible. Because that's going back to that idea of like, I am suffering and people will just compliment how I look. They're not relating to me. That stuff I felt was like, okay, Andre, like this isn't actually like, I understand this idea. It's like, I've just lost my mother and no one will talk about it with me. Yeah, those are the most honest points of the film. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I found those to be the most moving. And everything else I just found to be pretty performative. Mm-hmm. But even then, there was still stuff in there, like where he talks about, is like, if we were in a Tibetan home and this happened, then people would crazy. And the Africans would spear us if we acted like this. And it's just like, okay, thank you, Andre, for that for that nice racist, racist stereotypes and all that stuff. And also, number two, it's like, um, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. It's like, um, you know... It's like you unable to just like express how you feel without backing it up with how like knowledgeable you are about it. Like just shut the fuck mm-hmm. up. Like no one cares. Like okay, we're it's not like, yeah, because I've been to Tibet and Tibet people like act this, and I've been to here and this is da da da. da. And this is how they. And it's <laughs> yeah. like okay, well we're okay. So like, it's like okay, like congrats for pointing out cultural differences. Like you're amazing. Like it's you know it's like this uh, because you've been there. And yeah, so I don't know. It's. Uh, I'm so I'm out. I'm out of steam <laughs> for this one. So I guess that gets into the question uh uh after all of these years, Mark, after all of this time, did you like my dinner with Andre? I did. Okay. <laughs> and I think uh, one of the things I liked about it is that, you know, when when I've looked at the reactions of other people who have watched the film, they tend they tend to think that because 
Wawa Sean is playing somebody called Wawa Sean, and Andre Gregory is playing somebody called Andre Gregory, and they are drawing upon people that are in their lives. There is a tendon, they, they have this tendency to believe that they are playing themselves, when mm -hmm. in fact they are playing heightened versions of themselves, that they are exaggerating certain things, making up certain details, and in a sense, on many occasions, playing the worst versions of themselves in order to get at the central conflict of the themes that they're exploring. It, in a, in a way, reminds me of a conflict I had with uh, my own mother when I was doing Beat the Geeks. Now, most people listening to this show have never have never seen Beat the Geeks because uh, uh, Fo uh, the Fox Television, you know, after they pulled the, the show from syndication, they buried the tapes and salted the ground, and it's they're never coming back. <laughs> but I was I was playing a heel. I was playing the nastiest version of myself you know, for comedic effect. Almost everybody understood that except my mother. That ever that after the show initially aired periodically, she would be criticizing me over the way I behaved on the program. And at one point there was an episode where I was scripted to swear. And, you know, I did it. And when that program aired, she, a few days later, when I had my weekly phone call with her, uh, she said, you know, I am not going to watch your show anymore, and I cannot in good conscience recommend it to any of my friends because you conducted yourself horribly, and I taught you better than that. I am embarrassed by the way you represented yourself and me on television. And no matter how much I tried to explain that, you know, I'm playing a character who happens to have my name, she could not grasp that concept. So I think a lot of people who watch the movie tend to think that this is who Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory actually are when they're not. And I think that, you know, it seems weird to say that they do such a good job of playing themselves, but what they're actually playing is like these heightened versions of themselves. And, and you know, you'd think, oh, how difficult can that be? But, you know, if you, you, know, if you were being yourself, you're trying to be seven times out of ten – you want to be the best version of yourself. You want to re represent yourself well. You don't want to come off as a dick, let alone for posterity, where people can <laughs> play it over and over again and point to it. But, you know, that they're going out there and saying, okay, yeah, um, this is a moment of my life where I was probably pretentious as hell, and <laughs> all right, I'll go to that zone and make myself unlikable that since a lot of people mistake uh andre and wallace as people to 
the versions of themselves that are in the movie, I think it is a testament to how effective the movie is in that they make you believe that this is who they are. Right. Yeah. And 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 then on that same note, I then would understand why people would reject the film as, okay, so you're making me sit for an hour and 50 minutes to watch these two bourgeois men be be the worst version of themselves for posterity that doesn't seem like the best use of my time and so i get that we we spoke in another episode of our podcast about the debate on old movies and what their relevancy is right the dorothy arsner podcast yes and that that uh there have been vocal people kind of talking about their disdain for older films because of content in them that to be vaguely polite has no relevancy and in fact has negative relevancy upon them as a viewer and that is perfectly understandable that I was I may develop this on my own, but the metaphor I came up with is that if you ordered a salad and I brought you what I claimed was going to be a tremendous salad, but that in the course of preparation, there were a couple shards of glass in it. (laughs) Now, you could be adventurous and you're going to make your way through the salad and you might discover the shard of glass and you'll acknowledge it, put it aside, and not consume it. Or you might say, screw you, bring me a salad that does not have any glass in it. I am trying to enjoy this. I don't want to have to deal with navigating something that is going to potentially cause me injury. And as such, you know, that is a valid way of consuming older films that some people are going to find the cringy elements of a movie and say, I don't like this, but I can put it into context. I can separate it from my enjoyment of the remainder of this. And then there are others who are going to say, no, screw this movie entirely. Give me something that I can enjoy without having to deal with material that hurts me on a prime level. Mm-hmm. So, and and I think that is where a lot of the reactions to my dinner with Andre are interesting because some some of this affects people on a visceral level where they're like, I can't stand these people and their privilege and the way that they talk about cultures and life experiences that they are essentially tourists in you know i have not been accorded this level of opportunity or privilege in my life and it causes me pain get it away from me and others look at it and say well you know that this is a perspective that I do not share, but you know I can find what is relevant to me and is good. I I know what to take in and what to leave on my plate. 
And I think that both of those reactions are entirely valid. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, what I, sh I should say that, and I think you'll appreciate this, is that once I took on this mission, when I first watched my dinner with Andre, I watched it silent. Really? Okay, so you did that first as opposed yes, to second. Yes, I, 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 my first viewing of the movie was just entirely looking at the, the, the shots and the, the body language and that I didn't necessarily, you know, I, you know, I had seen clips on TV as a kid, but I didn't know what was going where. So, so all I did was look at how it unfolded without sound. I am, I am just astounded because just a little peek behind the curtain when I when I approached my co-host to do this, I asked um, Harold, "Is like, hey, what what if you just uh, if you could see this film um, audio only, so just listen to it like it was a podcast, so we can talk about it, its merits as a, as like a radio drama, as it were." And with you, I was like, "I if you could oblige me." to see the film with the sound off. I never thought in a million years you'd start by seeing it with the sound off and that that would be your first time seeing the film. Because it, because it, what it does is it allows for a completely different way of, of, of what you're focusing on. I had already seen the film several times by the time I got to the sound off viewing, and so what I was paying attention to then was... Um, was angles and, um, and blocking and... Um, and like the fact that the person with the third most amount of screen time in this film isn't actually the waiter, it's the bartender behind Andre. Stuff like that. Um, paying attention to how many times each person took a bite or took a drink. Um, I think it's hilarious uh, that uh, uh, Andre, after the wine arrives, he takes a sip to like approve of the wine. And then we don't see him take another sip of that wine for 30 minutes. Um, and And it's just... It, that's the stuff I was paying attention to, but you, you're you've got this whole. You're trying to get the story without the dialogue, which and this is a movie like we talk about show versus tell. This is a movie that is practically all tell, and 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 yet you just went in with that. Let's see how it tells the story visually first before you even knew what they were talking about. That's remarkable. Yes, and because even without the dialogue that is the ostensible draw of the movie. I mean, it's a bit of an endurance test to go. Th it's almost a full two hours. So to go that distance and just watch the back and forth and note how the camera is filming stuff, you know, that, you know, it's, you know, it, it's tough. Okay, and so I guess I guess my question would be is like so what your what what, what insights did you glean, Mark? <laughs> well, that you know from well from watching it without dialogue to with dialogue, you know that if you the the notes that I took were that that initially there's a disproportionate ratio of camera time to Andre versus Wally and you know that initially he's just making reaction shots then there's a transition to two shots about you know 30 minutes in that on certain moments like when 
when Andre is talking about, you know, the whole sort of buried alive thing that he experienced, the camera zooms in really tight on him. And so I didn't have that information, but when the camera was getting really close, I could tell, okay, he's telling a story that is super important to him, that this is more important than anything else he is going to be discussing in this movie because the camera is closing in on his face and getting all other distractions out of the way. And then, you know, 53 minutes in is the first time that Wally speaks at length and his his confidence is increasing and you know and you know we get the shots where we can see the mirror and Andre is looking at himself and then at the very end of the movie when Wally is going back in the cab it's almost as if he is looking at the city with new eyes and that is in fact what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, when you get go and get to the sound. Yes, that when I watched it a second time, I was getting the specific details of their conversation. But in a sense, you know, again, you know, it, it took me two hours to you know of just sitting there in silence and but you know, getting the sound and the audio and getting all of the that you know, that there are there are the the more dismissive or derogatory reviews of the film are the fact that you know these are the kinds of that this is the kind of you know stoner discussion you had in college that you desperately wanted to get out of when you were in it but the only way you know that is if you were in that discussion to begin with if you were at that party and you got you buttonholed against the wall and stuck in that for a while and you know you 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 talk about it in a dismissive derogatory fashion like oh yeah that lunatic talking uh, about philosophy and science and all of that stuff but you know damn well you you treasure that experience because if nothing else it gave you an anecdote to tell other people at parties later and let you feel superior to you know that blowhard that you were stuck with at the other party we have right. all been in those conversations we could yeah, get yeah. out any time that we wanted to we stayed for that conversation just to see how far down the rabbit hole we, we go we wanted to you know you know uh, as Shakespeare wrote in Macbeth, I am in blood, stepped in so far that were I to wade no more, returning would be as tedious as to go o'er. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and that is what ultimately that down to the last line of the film, it's about is that what is what does Wally do after this this incredibly. Um, incredibly long possibly arduous conversation he goes and he talks about it with debbie once he gets home that andre at the very at the very least has become a form of is anecdotal entertainment for wallace and more importantly that seeing as they have talked uh, they have talked about all these things that wallace has gotten insight about andre that Andre has been 
for whatever reason, unable to just flat out say. You know, that if if we look at the backstory behind the creation and, you know, that of Andre feeling like a failure, that he alludes to it, what this is basically saying is that, you know, at the end of the movie, Wally realizes, you know, my friend has been depressed as hell. He has been immersing himself in all of these other wild pursuits to try and find justification and he hasn't found it and even now if he's you know he's reached out to me to to bear witness to it and you know that he that he kind of has a better understanding of this person who he has always had this fraught relationship with that a couple of thoughts that come to mind i i don't know if there is a work of literature that this quote comes from but someone used it in their student film in high school and it's always stuck with me uh the phrase it is a luxury to be listened to you know okay. like like literally today on the day of this taping i put some material on free cycle and somebody came to pick up the item today and they were and i i had to go and have dinner with my family and i didn't have a whole lot of time but they were beginning to go off on a tangent about this horrible thing that had happened to them that it affected their health and their family and you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to cut them off, but, you know, they were, you know, they were clearly beginning to get a little diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I thought, you know, they've needed to unload to somebody and, you know, that they, they want, they want this to be acknowledged because this is affecting them. And it's like, okay, I will give them as much time as I am capable of, you know, if I need, you know, when, you know, when this clock hits uh, 3.45, that's when I'll tell them, look, I have to go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, up until that time, I'll, I'll give them, I will give them that leeway because it matters. And I, and that leads to something that, has resonated with me the late screenwriter audrey wells a wonderful woman claimed way too soon uh she did the american adaptation of the japanese film shall we dance okay and uh you know a lot of people were kind of dismissive of it because well you know the japanese movie is great as it is and you know, America, we always remake foreign films rather than take a chance on their own. But she wrote a beautiful bit of dialogue in her adaptation where uh, Susan Strandon says, we are all seeking a witness to our lives. Right. You know, that we know that there is only a finite time that we are here and there is going to be a time when we are gone and we want to believe that time mattered to somebody and yeah. that and that if somebody was there to bear witness to it to remember the things we said and carry them forward if they are valid 
is what we often seek the most. Right. And that we, we don't, none of us want to die with the notion that everything we did is going to be forgotten and for naught. Right. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what this, this movie really is, is it, it is, it is Andre doing this outcry of like, I have, I have, I have been through all of this stuff. Um, uh, uh, this is not necessarily Andre the person, but he, but in interviews, in the interviews and stuff that I read is like, the character is like he hasn't told this story before and he is reaching out to this friend that he that he just he just needs to have all of to put this stuff out there and to to be acknowledged you're right it's a luxury to be listened to and yeah and and that's that's what this film is is it's part of the reason why maybe they did they intended it to be a film rather than a play even though it'd be so simple to do a play is like to be listened to and to have that for posterity to have this to have these stories this this these um this struggle to be to be put in concrete and and to be recorded um for for all time and and i guess maybe shifting uh the direction of the conversation a bit i guess into yeah these these guys they talk about a lot of crazy things in this um lot of of reaching for the cosmos um as it were in this movie talking about very broad uh uh, uh broad and 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 introspective topics i guess i guess i kind of want to ask is just like what what conversations or parts of the conversation in this film were you most drawn to um and what did you most respond to i guess um, well, the, there, there is a certain point where, uh, you know, I'm never not interested in what Andre has to say, but at a certain point, I am just kind of not tuning it out, but just recognizing, okay, he's going off on some lofty ass shit that I can't really relate to. You know, yeah. that I'm I'm that I'm listening as an abstract because you know this is just something that very few people do so out of respect it's like okay I'm you know who else is going to talk about this I I need to give it my attention but in terms of relatability I'm not going to relate to it but that being said I think you know Again, when the camera zooms in on him and he is talking about going through the motions of dying. Yeah, the, the All Souls Eve experience on Long Island. That I would never want to go to that extreme. But I had <laughs> often thought about, wouldn't it be interesting if you did like an episode of a TV series where without going into terribly gross detail, you dramatized what happens to you when you die. Like, mm -hmm. if you were in a coroner's office and you lied down on the slab and the coroner says, okay, well, we would put this tube into you and we would suck out the remainder of your blood so that it doesn't coagulate and, you know, that... You know, that if you went through all of the the 
the ordinary motions of what happens when they prepare a body for death. I always thought that would be a fascinating topic for a TV show. A narrative or a reality TV show? Well, either. You know, okay. basically, it would be the, the frightened grown-ups equivalent of when you first give your toddler the book Everybody Poops. You know, uh, you know talking about the one aspect of life that everybody goes through but nobody wants to discuss. <laughs> and doing it in a pleasant, non-judgmental fashion. It's like, well, okay, well, we'd take you here, and then we'd start doing this, and then we'd put you in a coffin. We'd, you know, we'd, you know, we'd rip the back of your clothes in case they don't fit, so that on the front you look nice, and you know, just you know, it's because people don't, you know, they don't know these sorts of things, and if they know it, then they're less afraid of it. So that story that Andre told affected me, uh, and then when. Wallace starts sticking up for, you know, the, the desires of the common man. That affected me. You know, the, you know, the, the, th the simple things that make anybody happy that, that they want. Um, I want, you know, I was with a friend once who, and you, you know, we got, we didn't get into, you know, my dinner with Andre levels, but we, you know, we got a little... <laughs> philosophical and she said you know one time i started thinking about if i were dead i wouldn't be able to watch duck soup anymore and i just started crying uncontrollably and i could relate to that you know that you know that it's not so much the fact of you know you're not conscious you're not interacting with humanity anymore but that you know Little stupid things like being able to, you know, drink a cold soda or watch a funny movie or hear your favorite song again, that you'd miss that stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, as as Warren Zevon said in, you know, the last stages of the cancer that took his life, you have to enjoy every sandwich. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. And yeah, and as a sandwich lover, yeah, you, you, there there is an art to it. Anyway, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, okay, no, I, well, okay. I, at Subway, you're a sandwich artisan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I I used I I am actually my my parents, my father have have for now a couple years uh, just always been floating the ideas. Like, have you ever? Why don't you just get a food truck? Make sandwich because I because I do I make sandwiches and I really enjoy making sandwiches and I get very into it into the choice of meats and vegetables and finding weird combinations and all this stuff and and uh, uh, so for a while my dad's like hey there's a food truck it's for sale are you interested kind of thing and I'm just like dad I'm not gonna do this for the rest of my life <laughs> uh, but yeah no but there but there is in that art in that sandwich making there is immense pleasure to be had in just putting the butter over the bread and toasting the butter on the griddle and then putting the egg and all of the little things that there that that is enough i i i really do like there are moments with both andre and wallace where i'm like 
I cannot stand you right now. And there are moments with both of them is like, absolutely. And one of the moments with Wallace is just like that, that is, is not the cigar store enough? And isn't that as valid as Everest? And during that moment, I was specifically thinking back to uh, when I was at Montana State University uh, uh, back in the early months of 2020. And I was in the worst depression of my life. And 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 what I would do is, is every every Thursday I would um, I would go to this little coffee shop just off off campus uh, where. Um, my poetry teacher, I was taking a poetry class, and a poetry teacher would, there had her quote-unquote office hours, and I would go and we would talk about poetry and whatever else occurred to us for, for an hour, because I was the only one that ever came to office hours. Um, but what I would do is, while I waited for her to arrive, I would just sit on this bench in the snow, in the cold, and just kind of watch this little this very old gas station like cars come through and get gas and leave and i was like this this moment right here is what's keeping me going um uh, uh that that this simple act of just watching life go by this is this is what i can hold on to right now and and so that that moment with with wallace where he's talking about the cigar store specifically is just like yes thank you and then <laughs> And then he'll turn around and say something like uh, talking about his electric blanket. It's like, I think it's making me me dream differently. And I'm like, really? Really? Really, Wally? Is it making you dream differently? Uh, Gray, Gray Drake said something to the same effect of like, now you're just being as, as pontificating as Andre in this moment kind of thing. Did you like my dinner with Andre? <laughs> I, I do like it, I think, for all of its, like, pretentiousness and navel-gazing. Um, it, like, I mean, not only speaks to that particular moment in time in, like, New York theater culture or whatever, uh, but they were, like, at, at several points, they, like, get into this sort of budding sense of isolation that was sort of beginning to coalesce into the moment that we're in right now. This was like, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of anti-war movement, then the Reagan era, then as a reaction to, you know, the anti-war movement and, and this new age philosophy yeah. that they talk about and now our, our present hellscape. So I think yeah. it's interesting like, in that way. Yeah, no, Screen Drafts in their episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre talk a lot. They're pretty much their main focus is talking about um, the political uh, uh, background of the film is like how this was like it's a it really does serve as a time capsule for this moment right before art became com totally market driven. Um, and yeah, and how Reaganomics came in and all the hippies sold out and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I think this film does does do us a, a really good way. A, does serve as a really good portrait of that moment in time. I think the biggest critique that you could have of it is that it is a portrait of that moment in time through the eyes of these very bourgeois New York intellectuals that are kind of insufferable to listen to for a lot of the time. And and I love this movie partly because I've done all of this extra textual research, um, and it it it. 
what what it really caused me to think was was two things is one I am kind of basically like Andre in this situation in that I have the privilege to go out and do all of this research go on this quest and and then like wake myself up to the realities of whatever this movie is kind of thing like I am I am in an equally privileged position as Andre in this kind of aspect um and that that I have to acknowledge like unlike Andre I'm going to acknowledge that I have all of this privilege and all of this time and that that if that my perspective is is in that kind of like bourgeois realm um and then two it also made me realize that maybe the re- that that people can get into movies maybe any film if they like see it enough times and if they dive deep enough into it, if you go down the rabbit hole, like I'm so far down the rabbit hole that when I think of the word rabbit hole, that I think of Andre Gregory's adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. Um, and, and like, maybe this is what has happened to the poor MCU and Star Wars stands, that they've just gone too far down the rabbit hole and they just can't get out. And that they can only see this as, like, this is the only arts that exists kind of thing. Weird. No, that's that's impressive. Weird rabbit holes. That's impressive. Yeah, um, I've 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 done a lot of work on this podcast, Bibbs and Whitney, and <laughs> and hopefully someone will listen to it. Yeah, the, I I was reading um, this Criterion essay on it that talked about how much food was flying out of Wallace Shawn's mouth, which I didn't remember from the first time I watched it, and seeing as you know, as part of our formal experiment, you told me to just listen to the audio version. Um, you know, that was maybe one of the things I'm glad I missed by not having the, the, the visual element. Uh, I tried to, like, replicate my podcasting habits or, or like, to the best of my ability. Because usually I listen to podcasts when I have my commute and that no longer exists. So right. uh, what I've turned to uh in in this sort of desperation uh is renewing my world of warcraft subscription and that's i'm so sorry yeah i am too and that's my um that's my podcasting game um and whenever i need to just like do something brainless for 30 minutes sure i'll just listen to a bit of a bit of this or that and, and and play world of warcraft so yeah so let's get into that so you listen to this movie as an audio format mm-hmm. and this was my idea is i wanted to see the, to take this film as a movie and then i also wanted to see what i could get from it visual only that's what i did with mark edward hoik um but and then i was like with you i was like i'm wondering what we can gather from this as an audio experience of just the audio what we could get from it how it might work because this is something that uh, uh the screen uh, uh ray ryan and clay talked about in their episode was how People are now, people are used to deriving entertainment from two people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is not a, a strange concept to people now, is that you can just listen to a podcast where two people talk, and that's entertainment. Um, it's still relatively strange in the film medium, but as, a, as an audio medium, that's par for the course at this point. So I'm wondering what you, how, how, how you found it just as an audio piece um i mean there's undoubtedly there's a reason that this doesn't exist as like a long form talk radio segment um number one's the recording aspect of it 
but I think this sort of uh, claim, Louis Mal is sort of balancing this like claim to realism that film kind of inherently has versus ev all the artifice that's involved in movie making. Right. And even more so, you know, in this production particularly because, you know, that that restaurant's like a set. Uh, ev mm -hmm. Everybody's an actor. Uh, there's no, you know, it's not on location shooting and it's not just passersby and it's not just improvised dialogue. It's carefully Everything constructed. Everything is scripted. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so that, that I feel like that sort of formal clash I, it, it contributes a lot to to the the text itself like you know it exists for a reason but but i will say that as an audio track alone it does work pretty well especially mostly because of wallachon's initial narration the very very beginning sort of setting the stage um and yeah andre gregory's propensity to just talk about himself for long periods of time i feel like some bits you know, listening to it audio only uh, were funnier than if I had been watching the film. Uh, like there's uh, when, when Wallace Shawn complains about portion sizes, that was hilarious because I was just picturing like a microscopic food <laughs> that you need a magnifying <laughs> lens to, to, to view. So, yeah, it was funnier in my head than it could have possibly ever, you know, been been in the film. If you had actually uh, seen the quail. Right, right. And and. You know, you, you tend to have, like, these very, like, car I t tend to have these very cartoony visions of, of the people talking that I know it's not what they look like on film, but Andre Gregory is just, like, all angles and black turtleneck, and Walshawn is just, like, his character from The Princess Bride or whatever. So, yeah. Because isn't, isn't this where they got the inconceivable from? This came first, right? Yeah, well, yeah. No, he, he says inconceivable at, at one yeah, point yeah. in the film. It's like, it's 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 inconceivable that you would even go to Everest. Yeah. Like, something like that. And, yeah, and it's just like, oh! Yeah, the, yeah, the director I, saw it and loved it that much, so they were like, we're going to put him in. Yeah, Rob Reiner was like, I'm putting that in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah I, I like the idea. Andre does seem like he would be the guy to wear a turtleneck. Um what he's actually, but it's actually what's funny is is his clothing, despite his very bourgeoisness, is very kind of simple. Like he just has this this nice sweat, lovely sweat. I want that sweater that Andre's wearing. This is very comfy looking sweater, and then just a plain brown button down shirt underneath. Like it's not that fancy, um, right. and sort of betrays his his bourgeois status. Well, well, it's not that it betrays it, but it just it shows that how like I mean, it's he talks about going out on these all these crazy adventures and stuff that like cost tons of money. But the stuff that he's actually doing, this is something that First Cut talked about in their episode, mm -hmm. is that he's actually doing like very kind of like quote unquote archaic activities, like just going out in the forest, going out in the desert. These are things that seemingly wouldn't cost that much, just going out and doing nothing. It's not like he's renting. A, a huge mansion he's just going out in the forest mm -hmm. um but it's still sh a symbol of his privilege that he's able to do this right he can go have um, orgy, and so orgies I, in I think that whatever yeah yeah and so i so the idea that he's got these very simple clothing is kind of i think kind of works as a showing that like oh yes i'm very rich but i like to think that i'm very one with the earth kind of thing and and the, the, the question that he's ultimately you know seeking through these transcendent experiences, even though you know 
his money allows him to sort of pursue that more intensely there's questions that like everybody grapples with especially people mm-hmm. who are, are are being crushed by a system um, and the, the question is is there another way of life um, I know I've you know been asking myself that a lot lately yeah no it's 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 weird because the questions he's asking, the topics he's addressing are very universal topics and stuff that we can all relate to. But it's that he's coming at it from this incredibly privileged perspective that suddenly just makes you just like you kind of this icky, icky thing um, that that he's he's so out of touch, even though he's tapping into something that we can all talk about. And. Yeah, it kind of makes me think it's like this movie, I wish that there were, I've spoken about this in the other recordings, I I wish there were more movies like this. I wish this was a genre and not just one film where just two people talking over dinner about life and the meaning of it and the meaning of art and all these things. I want to hear that from other perspectives. Like we talk about this in our Wiseman podcast often about how uh, uh, he's, supposedly doing this objective thing but really it's a very subjective uh, 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 interpretation of what he's seeing it's it's from Wiseman's point of view and it, we talked about how it'd be really interesting to see all of these very uh, uh, observational cinema if you will from other other demographics to see how they would see the the world as it is kind of thing and I would be interested in seeing a my dinner. I would be interesting. Inter, I would be interested in seeing uh, uh, my dinner with Chiquita, where it's Debbie and Chiquita talking over dinner, or maybe two people who are involved in the theater but are incredibly poor, or and and who work in in mediums closer to maybe stuff the kind of theater that I've worked in, um, where it's just a couple people, some pieces of plywood, and that's all you have. And you're not going out to morgues and getting an actual head to toss around the audience. Yeah, you should do an, an anthology film where it's just little dinners. There, there's the name for you, little dinners. Well, I mean, well, th- I mean, that's kind of what this podcast that we're doing is—is is yeah, where it's just of. a bunch of different perspectives talking about the things that Andre and, and Wally are talking about. Yeah, but, but you know, since we're reckoning with with form here, you know, why why not stage a series of plays that do that? Why does it have to be yeah. a movie? Mm-hmm. Um, B- yeah, Bibbs and Whitney have talked about this. It's like this is the easiest thing to do as a play, and there have been adaptation, like play adaptations of this since the movie. I was going to ask you, Harold, if you were to do this as a play, how would you do it? That, yeah, that Just, that kind of that is the question, right? You'd have to like turn it up on its head. I don't know. Just throw the whole idea of dialogue out the window. Um, really, just do the my dinner with Andre, yeah. but they're literally yeah, just sitting there silent, and eating. Yeah, they're not they actually did, talking yeah, about anything. Exactly. Uh, I think no. Actually, you have yeah, you have the 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 two principal characters on stage eating in silence, and then you have two plants, like two cast members, sitting in the audience, and they just start having a conversation like full volume. Mm. Uh, and there we go. We kind of decenter the the theatrical loop. That's sort of been established by taking by taking my dinner with Andre and turning it into a, a play. That's very Andre of you. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> no, that's actually Brecht, a really good idea. Brecht, eat your heart out. That, that's kind of one of the things that I've taken away from this is watching all of these stuff and specifically watching Vanya in 42nd Street, which is Louis Malle's last film, which is a him filming of Andre's uh, staging of Uncle Vanya, which was adapted uh, by David Ma- as adapted by David Mamet, um, and starring Wallace Shawn. And so it's it, it kind of serves as a sequel to My Dinner with Andre, and that is like the question is like what happens to these guys after the movie? Well, I mean, we can see that they they kind of reject mainstream theater and they just do little little tiny plays. They work on them for years with a handful of actors and they perform to maybe a half dozen people. And they do it in crumbling, abandoned theaters because this is the world we're living in where theater, as we know, the old theater is decaying. Um, but we're going to be doing all of this very uh, uh, intense, like going back to the root of, Te- of Chekhov and Stanislavski kind of thing, despite, despite it, completely non-commercial. Um, and that is the privilege of Andre that he is able to afford that, to just leave, leave theater behind and do whatever he wants insulated from the world at large yeah and he can um, you know he says himself he can return to the theater anytime he wants he literally has and he has a couple times yeah, yeah. but in in my dinner with andre he's like yeah they i was like you know the one one guy asked him what will it take for you to come back and i was like i need 40 jewish women who don't speak english or french and <laughs> and who play the flute or the harp right and <laughs> the, the, you know they filled his request to the best of their ability which i'm sure took them a lot of time and money um but one of the things that this whole project has made me realize is that when this when gestures broadly is over i want to go back into local theater yeah <laughs> like i honestly I, um not only this but just like I don't know, a bunch of stuff that, that I've been consuming or coming across or going through. I'm like, damn, I really miss, yeah, auditioning for stuff and mm-hmm. um, just being on stage. So I'm going to try to do that once. That's Yeah, because like, there was such a physical camaraderie, such a casual intimacy in local theater. And and just, it's it's... I miss it. I miss I miss being touched. Like that, that's something that has not happened for so long. And and it's just like I want to be back just in a room doing weird stuff with people. Uh, uh I would really enjoy uh, as Andre calls it doing paratheatrical work like these very uh uh improv, these crazy improv like the beehive. That sounds kind of fun. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I would uh, the 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 as uh, from beyond the broadcast pointed out the the giving the 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 teddy bear suck is a uh, a little much, um, but yeah, I I, I want to do theater again. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, but wow, we really we really took the sort of critically acclaimed directions to heart because they were like, how would this work as a podcast and. We that's mm. here we are, um, and yeah, this uh, is how it would work as a I podcast. I think yeah, I think it's it's interesting that um, William mentioned that this would be the way that sort of younger people, sort of uh, the the sort of connection, the lens yeah, from, yeah, through yeah. which they would view it. Because like yes, it would work as a podcast, but it would also be the lamest podcast that ever existed, um, <laughs> and nobody would and nobody would listen to it. Uh, well, yeah, because it's just made for these two bourgeois dudes, right. New York intellectuals. Yeah, they don't even get any good bits off. 
I kind of yeah yeah they don't have any inside joke there is so it's because it's so scripted into these monologues as it were there are very few moments that actually feel like human mm -hmm. like when at one point uh, uh, Wallace Shawn gets confused about when Andre starts talking about a fawn and like like the baby deer like no like the like the like pan like the the thing and they, they have this 10 second moment of and you can see it better I think in the visual medium where like they like put the hands up and like do it and they had this little back and forth for like 10 seconds of just like oh yeah yeah okay I know and there's that, that one burst of human humanity in there like actual conversation and then it just goes back to monologues and there, there's so little of that what this I think a lot of people talk about this as a podcast as I was listening to it like with the narration and everything what I realized that this is more of a radio drama than, right. than a podcast when you put it in audio because it, it is scripted and it is very structured whereas this is kind of just all over the place like we can go off on Godard for five minutes yeah I, just because, I would love or cat in the hat <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that film I would love to see uh, an actual play D and D podcast with Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory and Andre Gregory just getting really into his D and D character uh, and he dies and he's just heartbroken <laughs> and he has to go to Central Park and take his pants off and take, you know, to cry about it. Uh, Cause yeah, that's yeah. what he learned in Tibet. You can't really f fully be vulnerable unless your pants are fully off. Then the crying may begin because you're sort of re reverted <laughs> to the womb, the womb state. Um, yeah. I, for going, just going back quickly to the audio of it um a couple things one uh the their voices how did how how because like andre gregory great voice hypnotic voice wallace sean not hypnotic but very distinct um how how did it go for you just listening to these two dynamics bounce off each other like they're, they're two very distinct voices i mean like i mentioned kind of earlier like there's just so much Andre Gregory talking that sometimes it's easy to forget that Wallace Shawn is like sitting right there in the same space because you're not looking at him. And it's not until mm -hmm. he's like, how, how could you say that? Uh, yeah. How could you think about, how would you think that about yourself, yourself, Andre? I, I really don't know what you're talking about. Um, oh, just shout out to one last time to, to Clay at Screen Drafts amazing Wallace Shawn impersonation in, in their episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. He does an amazing Wallace Shawn. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I, I guess I had thought about that, about just forgetting that Wally is there. Something that I, I only realized once I watched the film with the sound off is you forget that there is a couple sitting four feet away from them in the restaurant. Sure um, when the, you go to when they when they go to sit down, you see that there's a couple right there, and we never see them for the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, and so it's it was just really funny watching, like when you watch it with the sound off, you very much notice when you see other people in the frame, mm -hmm. um, and like how the patrons slowly leave. And this is in the audio. This is what Bibbs and Whitney talked about, is how over the course of the film, the audio fades out, and for like the last 45 to 50 minutes, they are the only two people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, 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 uh, Whitney specifically was like, I urge everybody to pay attention to the audio design in this movie because, uh, yeah, their voices start to echo just a little bit. Um, and you're like, oh, it's, oh, it's empty, empty now. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was fun to kind of uh, listen through 
in in that regard and the use of like ambient sound is so like believable right because it's very easy to just have the kind of segment that you loop uh and be lazy about it uh we we talked about this on our fossbender podcast with fossbender's first film how we would just loop audio yeah and you would hear people whistling over and over and over again yeah exactly you know when you're doing a a close listen like that you're you're bound to pick it up and uh i mean i i couldn't but then again i you know i was playing world of warcraft Mm. so maybe it wasn't that close (laughs) of a listen yeah but it it just speaks to how carefully crafted this movie is despite it feeling so extemporaneous or if some people might see it as very stagey because yeah it's a lot of monologues that regardless it is very very artificial like everything is is so carefully constructed um and yeah uh when when Bibbs and Whitney brought up like uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy doing a podcast, like I'm like, oh, there's your next before movie, um, Richard Linklater. Like Ethan Jesse, the character of Jesse would be totally the kind of guy to start a podcast. Um, so he would just you before late afternoon or before uh, uh, before noon or whatever it is that there's your twenty. It comes. It needs to come out next year, 2022, if you want to keep with the pattern. And it would just be Richard Linklater directing uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy as Jesse and Celine and doing a podcast. Oh, wait. Okay. So the first one was Before Sunrise, right? Yes. And then Before Sunset and then Before Midnight. Before Midnight. Okay. And then... 95, 2004, 2013. Then we have to do Before Fourth Meal, where they go get Taco Bell. They both get or they, really Or high. they could do Before Second Breakfast, and they could just be talking about Hobbits the whole time. I would love that. Uh, but they get really high... And then they go to Taco Bell, and then they record. That's an art, an idea for maybe our next thing. <laughs> I hate Taco Bell. I'm not. Sorry, I'm not going to Taco Bell. I mean, I, it's uh, fine. I'll eat it. I'll eat anything. I have no self-respect, and I'll put anything. The last in my time mouth. I went to Taco Bell, the last time I went to Taco Bell was in, when I was in the back of a police van at 1 a.m. in the morning, because it was the only place that was open. Once, uh, uh, all my parents called. I was in. Uh, uh, bozeman montana my parents were at home here in washington and i was going through an incredibly depressive episode and they called the police for my safety um and they i hadn't eaten in like 36 hours and they're like okay we're gonna take you to get some food taco bell was the only place that was open that is my it's my next to least favorite restaurant as in like there's my least favorite restaurant like up here and then taco bell is way below it (laughs) I mean, yeah. And, if if, and if I just, my primary and I, and I, if my primary I memory just, were police escort, I would I would feel the same way. Well, I mean, and I just remember just wharfing, like these disgusting, like plastic cheese burrito things down because like I just hadn't eaten and I was so out of my own bo- head and out of my body. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> Film school, while it had some great experiences, I got to be on a film set for two days as a script supervisor. That was great. Oh, my word, the isolation. Like, before COVID hit, the isolation was dangerous. Like, literally dangerous to me. Yeah. Screw screw your Andre and your bit about comforts and, and like, it's tranquility is dangerous. Um, no, man. Uh, sometimes comfort can <laughs> is necessary to survive, you, you idiot. You know, just the continuation or the the zeitgeist, the concentration of money, um, mm-hmm. inspired this kind of thinking in people that you know, yeah, comfort bad. 
and now literally like the only thing that's getting us through our daily lives are the little the comfort, comforts uh, yeah are the little yeah. comforts we can get um in between our you know exposure to a deadly pandemic or interfacing with everybody we know through a, a computer screen um mm-hmm. so yeah i'm gonna and oh and also didn't you hear that that uh, uh that that we discovered this newfound phenomenon called racism last year also oh. like having to deal with that. that oh i heard about it it sucks yeah yeah i would i, w- I would hate to think that that would be actually happening in the world <laughs> if i yeah if i were you know president i would i would get rid of it i would just get rid of i would simply get rid of racism Oh, oh, my other my other thing with this film that no one on on any of the other podcasts has talked about, and there's a reason why, is the flag. The whole bit with the flag does not need to be in the movie. It's it's com- you could lift it and nothing would change. That 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 whole so thread. Weird. So I guess I guess that kind of just leaves uh, uh, Anna. Why don't why don't you uh, uh, plug yourself? Yeah, I haven't. I have another podcast called. Oh No with Anna Campion. We're on all the uh, various streaming platforms. We're based on Anchor. Um, and we're on Instagram and Twitter at Oh No the Pod. I am on Twitter at I am the Campion. And I am on Letterboxd at Anna Camps 33, um, I believe. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm also on Movie Babble. I write movie reviews for Movie Babble. Um, so, uh, I, I'm posting stuff on there a fair amount. Um, and yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, B and I co-host, uh, Fresh from the Margins, which is, which is a weekly new releases podcast. Uh, and I think it's pretty okay. No, it's, it's good. It's a good podcast. <laughs> we dis- we disagree a lot and, yeah. and I, I, um, and I think I think that's that's healthy um, is to have. <laughs> yeah, I think to, so. Too. Do, we did disagree very vehemently about finding Ohana and in and of itself, which. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much more we could have we, we could have talked about talking about how the director has uh, uh, is almost like a doctor or a priest and how that connected to in and of itself. And Andre's talking about that. And we could have. Oh my, God, that's, so weird. You're, oh my God, that's so weird. Oh that's so weird. You're cutting out. Just that's like so Nomadland. Oh well, well. Uh, so uh, weird. You're cutting uh, out. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I'm okay. going through a tunnel. Uh, Mark, why don't why don't you plug yourself? <laughs> I'm on Twitter at t h e underscore h o y k. You can find my very my various musings and uh, retweets there. Uh, my blog is at uh, projector has been drinking blogspot.com I have got a uh, I'm hoping by the time this episode drops I can announce a commentary track that I have recorded for the Australian blu-ray label imprint uh, I you know they haven't announced uh, the movie so I won't announce the movie yet but it is a uh, you know little 70s programmer that's uh, got a lot of uh, you know know, interesting stuff going for it in which I've done a commentary with my good friend the film historian Glenn Erickson and 
Uh, and uh, by this time, I think the uh, Schmodown will be uh, my, fir my first solo Schmodown match will be available to uh, view and enjoy. Any, any final stuff? Uh, this was a fun, you know, formal experiment. Thank you to Bibbs and Whitney. Um, yes. If you'll ever want to talk about Wallace Shawn in Star Trek... Uh, oh well, you know that you know that Whitney I, that they have a yes. Star Trek specific podcast, right? I do. Yeah. I do know. So, um, I can talk a lot about Star Trek, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Invite Harold on the show to talk about. I'm a Ferengi. I'm a, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Star Trek specifically. Deep Space I listen Nine. To their, I listen to all their podcasts. I don't know. I haven't seen a frame of Star Trek. You would so, love. You would love Deep Space Nine specifically. That's what this is what I'm, what okay. I'm saying. The All best right. one. I, I'm kind of interested in starting with Lower Decks, but it's only on Paramount Plus, and I don't want to pay for that. Yeah. Everybody um, says TNG is the best, and uh, I know there's a lot of Voyager fans out there, and I will not say anything about them. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Deep Space Nine, for, for what it's worth, is is my favorite. I was going to look up a funny joke, but I don't think we have enough time. Oh, we have as much time as you'd like. Look up any funny joke you want. Yeah, okay. I'm literally just reading a Tumblr post verbatim, which is, I think, the worst <laughs> kind of podcasting you can do. Uh, and no, it's it, the best kind in of the central, The central difference between Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine is TNG is like, welcome aboard the Starship Enterprise, a luxury cruise ship drifting among the stars. Our crew contains notable elements of capital D diversity, and our captain gets pegged by an omniscient being from another dimension. Enjoy the soft jazz concerts, Shakespeare performances, and infinitely powerful holodecks at your leisure. And then Deep Space Nine is like, hop aboard station on fire trash can, bitch. Does our shit work? No. Is this a safe place to live? Fuck no. Senior officers include space dad, lesbian terrorist, trans worm, <laughs> goo, Dr. Twink, and perpetually confused white guy. If you want to get dragged into an elaborate crime syndicate, contract a deadly space disease, or get stabbed in a bar fight, you've come to the right place. Also, hollow sweets are for fucking. Yeehaw. <laughs> and that that gets to the heart of it better than I ever could. Well, because that's really what my dinner with Andre is about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right. I'm kind of regretting all the wonderful things I said about the nature of filmmaking and theater and, and reality now. I should have. This should have just been me. We should have just done Star Trek memes the whole yeah, time. Yeah, reading Star Trek memes off off Tumblr. Just reading so. Star Trek memes. All right. Uh, yeah. So uh, why don't why, why don't you plug yourself, Harold? Let's let's let's, let's wrap this up. So you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at Harold TXT. I'm on Letterboxd if you want to keep up with what I watch at Schmerold, S-E-H-M-A-R-O-L-D. I always want to spell that incorrectly. Uh, where else can you find me? I don't know. I want to get an I want to get an article published soon, bro. We'll, well for now, where you can find Harold is over on the Screens Margins. The Screens Margins is our podcast network where we do deep dives like we have just done on My Dinner with Andre. But instead of just watching a ton of movies over the course of one week, we watch one movie a week for months. Because what we do is we do dives into directors, uh, filmographies, going step by step through everything they've got. Uh, we've got for free, we've got a new releases podcast that I do with Anna. We've got a Frederick Wiseman podcast going into the films of Frederick Wiseman with Harold once a week. 
Um, and it's better. We it's just more our... organized than this. Promise. Yes. Yeah. And I'm more insightful. We've got like a structure and everything. We're like an actual decent podcast with that. Um, and uh, da, 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 da. and then when you want, if you want to go over to the Patreon, in addition to getting all of the extra audio that you didn't hear um, on the critically acclaimed podcast network, you can hear. Uh, about my dinner with Andre, you can hear Patreon exclusive series uh, dedicated to Dorothy Arzner that I do with Mark Edward Hoyk. You've got I've got two other series that I do with Harold, one about Fassbender and one about Lucrecia Martel, um, which is in Spanish, though our Spanish is often devolves into English. It's Spanish, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but have you you ever thought about what filmmakers you'd potentially want to go to after you know, than, two year two years well, from now? I mean. I've I've always I I intended to start to launch this with a Varda podcast, but that didn't end up working out. Um, but I so I want to do an Agus Varda because she's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I've seen I've seen enough of her films and done enough research that I actually feel like I could talk about her with some sort of intelligence. Um, Cleo from Five to Seven is my favorite film of all time, so there's that. Um, but I I want to do Ozu. Um, I'd I'd love to do uh, uh, I mean it's it's kind of the thing is like it's finding the right person like I do these series with multiple co-hosts and and so I I'd, like I wouldn't feel comfortable just talking about with like some white person about like the films of Oscar Micheaux um, who launched uh, independent film in the US as we know it with like stuff with like within our gates and stuff like that but I would love to do a series on him, so it's a matter of finding the right person. Um, but yeah, Oscar, Oscar, there are so many people that I'd love to do deep dives that people don't talk enough about. Like uh, uh, in the first cut uh, podcast, one of my favorite points that they brought up is they talk about how um, there is a fundamental elitism to 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 this kind of independent film mm-hmm. uh, that it is only the people who have the privilege to go out and find these obscure movies that are able to like enjoy them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And how there is, there is a stigma around mainstream audiences and mainstream cinema that this is mostly what a lot of people, this is what they have, that this is what they can enjoy. And this is what they have access to. And so I guess what the screens margins is, is like, I want to make this stuff as accessible. Like I want to make Wiseman as accessible as a, Kurosawa or a Bergman or a Scorsese those are still in the art term but they're they're recognized like Hitchcock like these are recognized figures I want Wiseman and Varda and Arzner to be as recognized as these people and so we're gonna do a deep dive on all their stuff um but so yeah so if, if you gotta put I'll, I'm always just wanting to put this out there it's like if you want to go into a deep dive on this very obscure filmmaker that has a large filmography and, and is worthy of a deep dive, then yeah, just DM me. I'm on it. Twitter at letterbox at blue gray closet. You can, you can find it. Uh, you can find screens margins at on Twitter at screens margins. Always wanting to do more stuff, uh, more, more diverse filmmakers. I want to, I want to do with something with Kathleen Collins. Uh, Kathleen Collins is one of my favorite directors and authors and, you don't see any anything about about her work outside of very small art house circles. Um, Cheryl Dunier, I want to do something with Cheryl Dunier um, because she almost invented the vlog, and now I've been rambling for several minutes. But yeah, we've got stuff, and we do deep dives on on cinema, so that's what we do. 
Um, come over and listen to our stuff if you want to. We'll be here. Yeah. Um, as long as sometimes, we can afford to. Sometimes we got jokes. Yeah, sometimes... sometimes Harold's a pretty funny guy. I try to mix... Yeah, I like... I try to mix the heady stuff with the, with the gut laughs. But I, I think this has been an equal mix of insightful and entertaining. So thank you. Yeah, no, you've... You've got some really. You had some really good stuff to say, Harold. I appreciate it. Say and, it right and, now. and thank you to to, to <laughs> Bibbs and Whitney for sort of yes. starting this thing in the first place and uh, inspiring us to, to think and, and talk about this stuff. So, yeah, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now we will float away into the podcast ether. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well then, good night.